Welcome to Mental Millennials with your host, Shelby Friesen. I'm sitting here with Janelle Francis, and I had reached out to her because I saw her post about being silent for a couple months um, and something regarding depression, and I've never heard that being done before. I've kind of only heard of people going to like the retreats where you're silent for 10 days or um, things like that. So I was curious to see how she integrated that into her life and how she came to decide on doing that regarding mental health. Um, But I'll let her introduce herself and then we will get into it. Yeah, so my name's Janelle. I usually go by Nell. Um, Janelle Francis. And that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So to start with the... I guess, where do you want to start with from for that story? Mm. Well... Because I, I don't know how far back it goes. Yeah. Or like, how did you come to the conclusion of what wanting to do what that? What was the yeah. lead up? Okay. I think we can go there. What was the lead up? Okay. Um, so that occurred in my life. How long ago was it? Two, maybe 2020. I'm trying to... I got to wrap, <laughs> wrap back around. I want to say... Two and a half, almost three years ago. Okay. Almost three years ago. Three years ago in February. Okay. Um, and I was working uh, full time in my career. So I was an interior designer, um, professional interior designer for eight years up until the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working, I was working for Lululemon and designing stores. And I had been like just hustling in my career for a long time. Um, my twenties were rocky to say the least. I think, uh, I moved from, I'm, I'm going to, this is such a long story, but so much of it does not matter. Um, but just to paint the picture, I moved from Alberta, um, a suburb just outside of Edmonton when I was 20 and finished my university here, started my career here. Um, and it, was challenging to say the least, just for obvious reasons. It's mm-hmm. an extremely expensive city to move to <laughs> yeah. when you're in college. <laughs> so like working full time um, oh. at a restaurant and putting myself through university. And um, yeah, it's just like, it, it was just like a constant uphill to try and make mm-hmm. life happen to make myself happy. And I think that, you know, that also just really stems back to not my like original dream for my life when I was much younger. Um, I just wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I had a gift for painting and music and it just wasn't something that was modeled for me, um, as a possibility. So I didn't believe that it was possible. I just Mm -hmm. didn't believe it was possible. I thought that I had to kind of compromise on that. My compromise was going to school for interior design, which felt like functional art yeah it's still kind of artsy (laughs) it is and I mean like now the way I approach it now the way I approach interior design is so different than back then but at Mm -hmm. the time in my life it was just really trying to kind of like wrestle with myself and the dream that I had for my life which was something that was definitely more free and fluid and then trying to you know make my parents happy trying to fit in with what society was telling me would make me happy because I'd never thought to question any of those things my whole life. So, um, I, yeah, I, I hustled, got my degree, started working, making 
no money whatsoever. Where, <laughs> so where did you start? Like, job. what was your first job with interior design? Was it at Lululemon? No, it was with Joey's. So Joey Restaurant Group. Okay. Um, yeah, designing restaurants. Um, and did you... I just never heard of anyone who's done it for like big companies like that. I always figured. So you worked like in-house for Joey's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I actually worked for the restaurants, like in the restaurants, um, Mm -hmm. putting myself through university. So since I was 17 or 18 years old. Oh, that's cool. So they just hired Mm -hmm. you after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was part of like a focus group a long time ago. And then I pointed out how poorly their restaurants were laid out (laughs) (laughs) and and then got offered a job um, in head office, which was also a little bit bizarre. That was actually probably one of the first times in my life um, when I got offered that job that I kind of understood, although I didn't have like the infrastructure in my mind to understand how it worked, that like you create the reality that you live in by what you think about. And so I remember when I was 18 years old and I got my first job at Joey's, Um, it was a brand new build. And so they were doing all of these like wet runs and dry runs before the restaurant was opening. And these people were trapped. This was in Edmonton. People were Mm -hmm. traveling in, um, to make sure the restaurant was all ready. And I remember looking around and being like, who gets to design these? Like, how does someone just become a designer of a restaurant? And like, I was small timey back then in my life, just didn't, (laughs) didn't have any concept for what could be available. And, um, it was like in that moment that I decided I was going to be an interior designer and that I would design restaurants um, as my compromise for being an artist. And then one thing led to another. I moved to Vancouver, continued to work at the restaurants. And the next thing I knew, I just had the job that I had kind of been like, how would someone become this? And it was my first job. So <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, shit, like that was supposed to be my dream for like 20 years from now. And I just got it off the bat. Mm-hmm. So then it like the dreams kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so like, what companies could I work for? What could I do? What projects could I take on? I'm a very ambitious person. So, um, and I'm, and I'm relentless. So (laughs) I'm like, if nothing else, I'll probably work harder than anyone else to get what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I kind of hustled and was grinding and, um, I had a little bit of a lapse in judgment in my life in my mid twenties and, was deeply unhappy and confused about what I was doing and broke and all of that. And I actually moved back. I moved back to Edmonton briefly Mm. for less than a year. Wasn't the solve, was deeply unhappy there as well. So you (laughs) thought you might be happier if you mm -hmm. went home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I think that like I was at a point in my life at that time where, um, I was about to welcome a niece into my life and I wasn't in a serious relationship and I was deeply in debt and I was working so hard and was not happy. And I thought, um, you know, if there was ever a time to leave and maybe go replant myself back in my hometown, which never felt like where I was supposed to be, but I didn't know, like my self-esteem mm-hmm. and my self-worth was so low. Um, I was just looking for a safety net. I Mm -hmm. think I was just like looking for something to save me, to help me, to make my life a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was starting to feel myself up against all of these ideals of things that I thought I should have been achieving by that age in my life, which was, um, 26, 27. Mm -hmm. And I was just feeling like this huge disparity. And so I was doing anything I possibly could to have the things that I thought I should have by that age because, you know, I had all of these friends back in Edmonton who owned homes and were starting families. And 
I didn't necessarily want any of that. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to feel independent. I didn't want to feel like I had to have a roommate. I had all of these things in my mind, you mm-hmm. know, that when you don't question why you believe what you believe, you'll just go on adopting beliefs that are around you. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those had to do with like, what does it look like from the outside? You know, like, do I have my own place? Do I have a car? Do I have all of these things? It was so expensive to have all of that. And I was just like grasping in mm-hmm. any attempt, putting myself into debt to do that. And was like really desperate kind mm-hmm. of, um, I got to this like really desperate point and, um, decided to pull the trigger and move back to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't the solve was super unhappy. Um, but what I learned in that process is, um, it was nice because I got confirmation that that's not where I'm supposed to be, mm-hmm. which is, I think something, if you're someone who moves away from your hometown, you might always have that like seed of doubt in your head. Like, am I, should I go back? Am I supposed to be there? And so I'm really happy that I did go back because mm-hmm. I'm like, nope, it's where I was raised, but definitely not where I'm supposed to be. Um, well, I think that's nice too, because I think some people will just keep that in their minds. Like mm-hmm. they'll think about it for years to come. Like I should have moved home. I should have moved home, but mm-hmm. you did it and you tried it and realized it didn't make yeah. a difference. And that's something like my whole, I'm, I'm thankful. It's probably caused a lot of issues. <laughs> it's, it's like been a little bit of a rocky journey in my life because I can't, I just, I'm someone who's never been able to live with wondering like what if Mm -hmm. and so that really snuffed that what if out in my life of like what if I'm supposed to move home or like what if and I went and it wasn't right Mm -hmm. so got myself back to Vancouver um accepted a job um got myself you know the beautiful apartment did the whole thing was like okay so did that job pay more yes okay (laughs) (laughs) incrementally (laughs) enough enough to pay my rent yeah um and, uh, and then jumped right back into it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to come at this from another angle and I'm making more money now. Like maybe, maybe this is the solve, you know, mm-hmm. it's just that I was making so little then. And like, I had almost like, it almost doubled my salary, mm-hmm. um, by accepting this job. Um, what was with that with Lululemon? Lululemon? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. By accepting that job. And, uh, and it felt like the universe was just kind of like falling into place for me. I had this beautiful apartment in Olympic village and I had this great job and I was making like good money. I could support myself. I could pay down my debt, but unfortunately, um, like I said, your problems don't really go away that easily when you're not conscious to them. Mm -hmm. And I just fell back right into patterns that I had been in my whole life, which were, um, deep, like, people pleasing and perfectionism and taking on way more work than I needed to take on to prove something like to prove my worth. Like that's where my worth lived and like what I could tangibly produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was running to the point of burnout, um, which had happened to me in jobs in the past, which is what led me to go back to Edmonton in mm-hmm. the first place. Um, experiencing extreme burnout that comes with a lot of physical symptoms as well. So like stomach ulcers and hair loss and um, like deep anxiety that's uncontrollable, um, like wakes you up in the middle of the night, nightmares, skin issues, digestion issues, like new food allergies, everything. I like, I, the list was endless. Mm -hmm. And um, after I started at Lululemon, it's like, 
I was on this like temporary high and then it's like everything started coming back, but even worse than it had in the past, you know, all of these like physical symptoms mm-hmm. and these physical ailments. And I remember it was, um, you know, now leading up to, uh, when this whole thing came to me, <laughs> I, um, my birthday's in January. And okay. so for me, I always kind of associate like new, you know, s- some people take like new year's resolutions. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. And for me, I kind of like double down on it because it's also within like 10 days of my birthday. Okay. yeah. So I'm yeah. <laughs> like when your birthday is right at the beginning of the new year, it almost feels like it's more amplified. And mm-hmm. so, um, leading up to that new year's and to my birthday, it would have been my 29th birthday. I, was like, I had a real like honest talk with myself and I was just like, you know, something's got to get, like something's got to change. You are working so hard and you're so unhappy and like you gotta, you gotta cut back. Like you can't work as much overtime. You can't, um, you need to, you know, work out more. You need to eat healthier because of course all of that stuff slides down. Like when you're prioritizing, work above everything else Mm -hmm. everything else is just going to fall to the wayside right like I would sacrifice going to the gym going to yoga eating healthy food anything um because I just overextended myself in so many areas I also saw that happening with like a lot of my friendships it's like I was trying to overprove myself as a good friend and then it's almost like um, like everything I touched was just like turning to shit (laughs) like I just everything I touched And it's like every project I touched and I Mm -hmm. couldn't understand that it's because I was just so overtaxed, right? Mm -hmm. So how could I possibly have the capacity to show up in a really profound, incredible way for anything in my life, whether it like be a project, whether it be a friendship, whether it be a workout, how I'm cooking, anything. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I was watching kind of everything fall apart. So that January, I like made a commitment to myself. I'm like, I'm changing my life. Didn't change a thing. Just got like fully wrapped up. Was your commitment to like start doing like yoga and all these things you're Mm -hmm. talking about? Yeah. And then just like didn't create a really a game plan. Just did the thing where I think a lot of people can relate to this where you just tell yourself you're going to do something and then another week passes and you don't do it. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how to like properly support yourself because if you've never done those things before, if you've never operated operated in your life differently And how you have, like, at the time I didn't understand the neuroscience behind it, um, behind, like, how the brain functions to go down paths that it's already been created. And uh, even if, like, the path is full of suffering and pain, if it hasn't killed you, it's going to choose that path again. Mm -hmm. And so I had great intentions to change my life that January and just had no capacity. I didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that January I, um, like had a shitty birthday and my, (laughs) my, my one friend tried to make it so, so good, but the birthday sucked. Why? (laughs) The birthday sucked just cause like I was miserable. Okay. I was just miserable. I was miserable. I would have been like working really hard. I hated the way I looked. I hated Mm. the way I was spending my time. Um, everything in my life just felt like it was kind of flat. Mm -hmm. And that month I ended up working like 80 hours of overtime at my job and all like, 
you know, yes, there's a point at which I definitely been pushed Mm -hmm. within that to, you know, take on more projects and take on more things. And you're doing so incredible. Like, do you want to take on this? Do you want to take on that? But I wasn't taking responsibility for myself and being the one who was accepting it and saying, yes, like I didn't understand at that time how much of how much I was an equal contributor to that. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, they were putting it on me, but I had the right to say no, Mm -hmm. but we don't believe we have the right to say no, especially when you're in a job like that. And you think like, are they going to think I'm bad at my job? Am I not going to get the promotion? Am I Mm -hmm. not? And you know, when your entire life is spent chasing money, you just think like, that's where the value is. That's what's going to make me happy. And I need more money. So I need the promotion. So I have Mm -hmm. to take on this. I can't just say no, like the audacity to be like, no, mm-hmm. I'm, my plate's full. Yeah. Like who, who the hell would say that? It's one so, of the hardest things to say. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's my favorite thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, uh, that month, yeah, it like, I, I'd taken on more overtime, more additional projects than I ever had in my career. And, uh, which is ironic cause I had gone in with the intention <laughs> not to, um, and I, uh, and I, f- I, like I said, I was watching everything kind of turn to shit. Like I was getting like blamed for things going wrong in projects, which were yes, my fault because I was spread too thin. I was missing details. I was like dropping the ball in different areas. Mm-hmm. I had friends who were mad at me. I was like gaining weight. My skin was out of control. My stomach was out of control. And I was like, I felt like the entire month I was just fighting this, um, like fighting being sick, like fighting the flu Mm -hmm. constantly had it like just at bay, but just enough to get by, like was just at my wits end. So wrap up to the end of that month and it was our fiscal end of year. And so I had like, I don't know, like the craziest amount of work I needed to get done both for my projects, but to close out projects to Mm -hmm. like end the year financially. Yeah. And that week was just stacked. Like I was working, I don't know, like 14 hour days every day that week. I knew I'd have to work that weekend, um, to close out a whole bunch of projects, get in like expense reports, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I woke up on the Friday, this Friday that I knew was just like, I hated my life and I did not have any desire, but I was like, I just need to get through it. How am I going to treat myself when it's done? Probably drink a shit ton of wine, you know, like forget this week ever happened and like continue on with my life. Cause I don't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, uh, woke up that morning and something was different. I like got up to go to the bathroom and I couldn't see, I just like, I couldn't see anything. And I was, I didn't know what was going on. I started to freak out. And, um, I remember like I, I had my phone and I pulled like two of my eyelids open, um, on one of my eyes. I don't know which eye and, uh, managed to take like a selfie with my camera. Mm -hmm. My, both of my eyes were just like fully swollen shut. Like I had to lift one eye open (sighs) and I was just like, what's going on? Like I, what's happening. And so I send this picture to my boss and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening with my eyes. I can't open them. I have to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor. I'm freaking out. Like I need to get to work. And, uh, I looked, I looked insane. It was like a blizzard. I was wearing sunglasses. I was like wrapped up. And I went to the doctor and I was like, I was like, what can you do? Like what? Fix it. Just mm-hmm 
put some drops in there, like tape them open, like do whatever you got to do. Like I got to get to work. It is a really important day. And he was like, yeah, it's not going to happen. He's like, you, I was like, well, what is it? What's wrong with it? And he's like, you just have an infection in both of your eyes and you need to go home and you need to lay down like no screens, no TV. I don't even suggest you listen to music or like a podcast. You shouldn't open your eyes. Like you need to lay down and you cannot have your eyes open. And he's like for a few days. And I was like, what? Like (laughs) I was supposed to be working all weekend Mm -hmm. to get through this. And he's like, yeah. He's like, unless you want to make this 10 times worse, like there's nothing I can do for you. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can give you drops, but the drops aren't going to do anything. Like you need to go home and you need to rest. You were burnt out. And I had like been losing hair and Mm -hmm. had an ulcer at the time. And I was just like, so <laughs> go home. That day was like a wave. I went through like this crazy roller coaster of like self-pity. Um, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? I can't believe it. Putting stuff on social media, have sympathy for me. Like it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed now <laughs> of like how I acted. Yeah. Just like, what the fuck? Can someone fix this? Like just mm-hmm. all of the emotions. Um, and alone in my apartment. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hit this point later in the day when, you know, it hit me. Like, I missed work that day. There was no way I was going to make it in on the weekend. And, like, what's done was done. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to have to deal with the aftermath on Monday. Nothing I wasn't used to at this point. I was used to everything turning to shit by now. So I was like, great. Like, I'm going to get, like, reprimanded. You know, I'm going to have to now work twice as hard next week. I'm still going to have to get all of this stuff in. I don't know what the, you know, consequences are going to be mm-hmm. for not having done this. But, like, there's nothing I can do yeah. anymore. And that, like, defeat, that defeat in me, just because of how hard I'd worked, like, how much energy I'd put into this job, how much energy I'd put into my life to try and be perfect, to try and do an incredible job. And it was all just like hitting me back in the face so hard. And so that night I was laying on, I was laying on my couch and I just, I'd been like sobbing, not helping the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And like my tears were just crusted to my hair. And I had, I just, it sounds, it sounds dramatic because I guess it is like, it is dramatic, but I just like, I just was done. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I can't, there's nothing left in me. Like, I don't know how much harder to work mm-hmm. to make myself happy. I just don't know. And so I was like, so fuck it. Like, I don't care anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be happy then. Like, if this is what life is supposed to be, I don't want to live. Mm-hmm. Like, I just have no desire. Like, I'm done. Life's been great. I'm over it. And it was like this complete surrender. I didn't know that at the time, but it was. It was like a full surrender mm-hmm. into just being like, it wasn't suicidal in the sense that I was like thinking about how to kill myself. It was that like, I didn't want to be alive anymore. Mm-hmm. I was just done. Like yeah. with life as I knew it. And I didn't know another way. So my only thought was, it can just be over now. And, um, it was like all of the air, like sunk out of me. I was laying on my couch and unassisted. I went out of body 
And I had this crazy out-of-body experience that was, you know, not assisted by plant medicine, not assisted by alcohol, not assisted by anything. Mm-hmm. And um, I left. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I, like, separated. Mm-hmm. Um, what I believe was my soul separated from my body and went up and looked down and saw myself just laying there on the couch, just, like, limp and pathetic and depressed and I it was like it was it was weirdly bittersweet in a sense because it was like it was the moment that changed my life but Mm -hmm. it um like to see myself and to see the state that I was in was so sad Mm -hmm. and to be and to look at myself from outside eyes which you don't really get the opportunity to do people <laughs> no. know how to do that um i i know how to do it now mm-hmm. um and i can take myself there now but at the time i i didn't know mm-hmm. and uh and i was just looking down at myself and in that moment um spirit angels guides whatever you want to call it came to me mm-hmm. and they talked to me and they gave me instructions um they gave me instructions for how to change my life and i had when I when I came back into my body I um I didn't know what to do I didn't know how to talk about it I didn't have language for it Mm -hmm. the only thing I could have said is that like I like angels came and spoke to me which makes you sound like a crazy person (laughs) yeah when you don't know Mm -hmm. like I didn't even know what happened and um were you like scared when that happened? Like when mm-hmm. you had the out of body experience or you no, weren't? No, it, it was, was like the like... most peaceful experience okay. in the world. It was like, it, it was, it was angelic. Like it was, mm-hmm. um, it was so peaceful. And, uh, and so when I, I, I kind of came to and, um, moved myself from the couch to the bed and I was just like that was fucked up like that was that a dream like did I dream that so then I wake up the next morning and I'm like yeah that was not a dream like that happened Mm -hmm. I don't know what that was but that happened the instructions were so clear and so I um I felt like at that point like based on how the honesty that I'd never really been with myself in that moment the moments leading up to that happening, which was like honest that I just wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. But until that point, like I've said it a bunch of times in this talk, Mm -hmm. but I didn't, I never admitted to myself that I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. I was trying to fool myself into thinking I was happy. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, like you should be happier. mm -hmm. And like, and I was very mad at myself that I wasn't happy. So I would do all of the things, buy stuff, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. waste my money, waste my time, all of the things that I thought would make me happy. I was attempting, but I'd never truly admitted to myself just how depressed I was and just how unhappy I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely like, um, um, what do they call it? Like, a, I was like functioning. I was like a high functioning depressed person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just kind of like a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. But depression. But like, exactly. Like fully high functioning, mm-hmm. um, but just miserable. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was like that level of honesty that I'd been with myself. And, you know, once you like lift that veil, you can't unlift it. And so the next morning when I woke up, I was like, like, what do I have to lose? You know, Mm -hmm. why don't I just listen to these angels Mm -hmm. and try? And so, um, the, 
instructions that I was given was that I, um, the first instruction was that I needed to get extremely quiet. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I was just, that was it. That was like, they were kind of vague, but I took them very seriously. So Mm -hmm. the first instruction was that I needed to get extremely quiet. The second was that I needed to, um, I needed to do a lot of yoga. And I was like, seems odd because I've been practicing yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I didn't, I, I didn't understand, but I was like, whatever, I'll, not a bad, not a bad <laughs> instruction. I'll take it. And then the third one um, was that uh, no matter what came to me um, while I was quiet and while I was doing yoga, I couldn't put anything into practice or into action. I couldn't change my life um, for a year. So I needed to practice those first two instructions, quiet and mm-hmm. yoga for a year. And then if I did that within a year, I would understand what my purpose was. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty bold. And (laughs) I was so desperate to know what my purpose was in life. I'm thinking, of course, at the time that my purpose was going to be like, this is what I'm meant to do for work. Or like, Mm -hmm. this is how I'm supposed to spend my time. Laughable now. But I understand what my purpose is (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's so simple. But um, at the time I was, you know, my perception of what purpose was, was tied to a vocation, mm-hmm. a job, um, something I was supposed to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was like, okay, how do I do this? How do I take these instructions extremely seriously? And that's when the idea for going silent came up. And um, because I was still working full time and I really didn't know what Vipassana was, um, which Mm -hmm. is a it's like a formal silent retreat that you can go on. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided to kind of I didn't know it, but I was creating my own Vipassana. Um, So it started with um, communication to people that were close to me that I would be unavailable and I would not speak unless spoken to. I had to like let my work know because I'm quite a talkative person and very social that I um, would, it w- I would seem odd, but that I was fine. <laughs> and um, that unless like I was spoken to directly or asked a direct question, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately they were supportive. I was, I was prepared to be fired and mm-hmm. I thought it would be okay if I was fired because I was so unhappy. Mm-hmm. So like if the result of my test for a year was that I would lose my job, I was fine. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's okay. I, yeah, I'm unhappy you. anyway. So take it away from me. <laughs> All good. I didn't want anything anymore. I was like, you can have the apartment. You can have my clothes. You can have my money. Like put me back more in debt. I don't care. Mm. Like <laughs> I don't, nothing I seem to be doing now seems to me seems to be getting me anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you're pretty willing to just give it all up at that point. Yeah. I was ready to give it all up. And so, um, I, yeah, I, I went and I explained that to work. I, um, explained it to my family, friends and family at the time. It was confusing because Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I was very protective of communicating that I'd spoken to angels. I didn't know how to tell people that. And you kind of just left that part out. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I said I had a life changing experience Mm -hmm. and, um, because I still didn't even know what it was. And I, um, and I didn't want the questions because like I said, I needed to get quiet. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want people (laughs) inquiring as to what was happening. 
and I stopped using an alarm to wake up. So I also had to let my work know this, that I wouldn't be waking up to an alarm anymore. So I um, may or may not make it to work on time. But that as soon as I did wake up in the morning, naturally, I would get ready and come to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that not to be alarmed if I show up late and that that's not I'm not not showing up. And because of that, that also forced me to adjust my schedule within work to make sure that I didn't have meetings early in the morning so that I could, um, I just didn't know how my body would react. Mm -hmm. Um, how my body ended up reacting was the opposite of what you think. I didn't sleep in. I was like suffering from extreme anxiety that would wake me up multiple times a night. So Mm -hmm. if anything, I was waking up way too early (laughs) to get to work. Um, I stopped listening to music. I didn't, um, I basically eliminated anything that was going to raise my heart rate. So no working out fast. Mm. Um, only yin yoga, this, which is what I started with because I did need to incorporate yoga. Um, no artificial light. And this was February at the time. So like I only used candles at home mm. and, um, so yeah. how did you come up with all those extra things? Like from your experience, they told you to get quiet and do that. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide to add in? Like you were going to just wake up when you your body did and you were going to no, use no light and things. Um, did because you? I was trying to think of like what, what is noise? Like what is sound? Mm-hmm. And that I needed to eliminate everything that was, um, the point was that I, I was going to hear things so that like, that's why I was getting quiet so that I could hear what was coming to me and any type of distraction, um, that would take me out of my head and my capacity to understand was, to me considered noise. So like visual noise as well as, um, auditory noise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I didn't know, like I was, I was so desperate that I was like, I've never, it's hard to explain like why I was so, I I thought how many times in your life are you going to get visited by angels? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know anyone in my life yet who's told me they've been visited by angels. Mm -hmm. So like this may be my one shot yeah, <laughs> to yeah. like take it seriously. And so like how seriously can I take it? And as I mentioned earlier in the interview, I'm relentless and mm-hmm. like a little bit of a perfectionist. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to do the best job at being quiet and mm-hmm. I'm going to eliminate everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just, I, I kind of like scoured my life for all of the areas where I could feel that I, you know, when you get anxiety and like, it's almost like you get this deafening, like white noise inside of your ears. You can't like hear anything but your own voice and it's, and it's quiet, but it's like, it's so loud at the same time. And so anything that was eliciting that nervous system response in me, I needed to cut out. So one of the big things was, yeah, uh, the sound of an alarm. And, um, the sound of like any loud music, Mm -hmm. music in general, um, that wasn't music that my yoga teacher was playing, (laughs) which fortunately is never crazy if you're going to yin classes. Um, and yeah, no, no podcasts, no. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. No socializing. Um, and so I did that and it started, I committed to doing it for a month, the month of February. And then I uh, continued on with it because mm-hmm. it was wild. <laughs> it was the craziest thing that, yeah, it, I call I called it for a long time like my yin month because I did on, I only did yin yoga mm-hmm. and go to work. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
Yeah, my life changed. <laughs> I don't even know like how to ask mm-hmm. how it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was shocking. Yeah. It was shocking. It was shocking because I started to hear things that it was like, I don't know how else to explain it other than if you've never been intentionally quiet for longer than like, who knows, like an hour or two, which most people are not, Mm -hmm. have never been. They don't know how to be intentionally quiet for longer than an hour or two. Um, What you start to hear is wild. You start to hear the way you talk to yourself, but like really hear it because you can't just shift your mind out of it into action. Mm -hmm. Um, You start hearing like spirit talk through things. And I wasn't at the time a highly spiritual person. Mm -hmm. It developed because of this. It developed because when I would walk down, when I would walk to work in the morning, like trees started talking to me and animals were talking to me. And I wasn't talking to them. They were talking to me and I could hear it. Like I could Mm -hmm. hear, and I'm like, what am I doing this? Am I creating, am I going crazy? (laughs) Am I creating like a, am I creating a, like a dialogue because I'm so desperate for communication mm-hmm. or are they really speaking to me? And, and then synchronicity started happening and like signs and things like stuff that's unexplainable mm-hmm. that would just be like, like numbers and things falling into my lap and someone saying something at the exact moment or within like minutes of me thinking it. And I would be like, Oh my God, this is wild. I've been talking my whole life mm-hmm. and missing all of this. I would. And then I, and then, and then you get addicted cause you're just like, everyone shut up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're talking so fast. You can't hear, you can't mm-hmm. hear what's going on around you. You can't hear your intuition. You can't hear like, because when your soul speaks, it speaks really quietly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't talk loud. Um, but your ego is really loud and your ego talks over it. And so it takes being quiet for a really long time to like hear yourself and to hear yourself consistently. And a lot of times it's only in once you've broken that, um, like those, those relational bonds in a sense, like I wasn't not friends with my friends anymore, but we're so grooved into our identity that we do everything autonomically. Mm -hmm. And, um, as soon as you break that away and I wasn't having conversations for pleasure anymore, um, I wasn't having conversations at all unless they were like logistical or functional, Mm -hmm. um, or related to my work. I was giving my self a break like that the ego didn't it didn't have anywhere to come in and then you start to see it try to come in and it's ugly it's ugly when it tries to come in it tries to distract you it tries to get you to like look over here look over there and you start to see this massive disparity between the way you've been operating your life mm-hmm. and like the way that life could move for you if you got out of your own way if you stopped trying to be smarter than this like intelligence that's been, you know, from beginningless time, mm-hmm. we think that we can like, just because we've got a brain and we can like figure things out, like our brains are stupid. Like <laughs> it's, it's just, it's so silly. Like we're, we're, we're hooked up to an inner 
source of knowledge like um that li- lives in all of us and we don't trust it because we believe that we learned something with our brain mm-hmm. and it's like how could that ever be smarter than you know this like timeless knowledge that just was like planted inside of us but if you've never listened you would never know mm-hmm. <laughs> so um yeah, it was like it was alarming. It was mm-hmm. an alarming month um, because it made me realize how incongruent I was in my entire life. Everything, everything, the way I was operating was like the opposite of what mm-hmm. you sh- of what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. I realized like how low my self worth was, um, how obsessed with approval I was, how obsessed with external validation I was, um, how disengaged with my passions I was and how my entire life had just been a compromise. Like I was just compromising, compromising, compromising. So Mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, it sparked like the beginning of what's been a really transformative journey. Mm -hmm. That was, yeah, almost three years ago. (laughs) That sounds like makes me want to try it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the discipline is the biggest piece mm-hmm. because um, pulling you out of it is your ego. Mm-hmm. So, like, to stay disciplined, I almost wonder how to would I have been able to do it if I didn't have if I hadn't been able to see my body, mm. you know, outside of myself. That was the moment that I realized that there were two me's that mm. there wasn't just me, one. Mm-hmm. There was like this human me that's here to learn these lessons. Mm -hmm. And then there's the timeless me, Mm -hmm. which doesn't have an identity. Mm -hmm. And uh, that fortunately is like what kept me disciplined in it because I was like, well, human me is going to die eventually. Mm -hmm. But like this timeless me is going to be here forever. So so I um, like this one can just like take a back seat and shut up for a second. Yeah. It's kind of like when you believe in something greater, it allows you to not worry about like getting everything done in your lifetime, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. And the like just fortunately, I think that like major level of desperation. I was right. like, you know, I can always go back to the way I've been operating my life and go back to being deeply depressed. But like, what if there's something else available? Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. So I've never done it before and I don't know anyone who has. Mm-hmm. So, um, the only people I had is like when I did allow myself, I, I so I read a lot that month. Oh, so you're, you're allowed to read still. I wrote, uh, or I chose to read. Okay. Um, but I chose to read, uh, like specific texts, like not just like for pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like, if you're going to read, you're going to like read some spiritual texts. Okay. And, uh, and, try and take it, like learn about angels, maybe Mm -hmm, try and understand mm -hmm. what happens to you. Um, learn about other people who'd had, um, out of body experiences, Mm -hmm. like metaphysical experiences. Um, and so I, I, I did. And Mm -hmm. I learned that the only people that I knew that had had experiences like that, I didn't know personally, they were spiritual teachers and, Mm -hmm. um, which then also made me feel, extremely privileged and lucky to have mm-hmm. had that and almost like why me mm-hmm. um although I do believe it's available for everyone um I don't believe that now that would that was my ego 
sneaking in at the time, believing like, oh, is there something special about me that I got to have this experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I was just like the most desperate at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it changed everything. It mm-hmm. like changed the trajectory. Yeah, the trajectory of my life. So so then after that month, you mm-hmm. did you did it longer. Mm-hmm. How much longer did you go after the month? Um, I went about. I, it was less formal. I started to reintroduce some things back into my life. So never an alarm. I still don't use an alarm. Um, and I, uh, I started to reintroduce like a little bit of music and I started to have conversations for pleasure, like with close friends, but very intentionally. Mm Um, and I, yeah, I, I didn't introduce anything like loud for a really long time. Um, probably like the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, cause I was just doing like a ton of yoga and I became like so entrenched in my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was experiencing, I was experiencing pleasure like I'd never experienced before because I was having this like profound connection with the universe. Like trees were talking to me. Mm-hmm. So like, I didn't really give a shit what anyone else was saying around me. Like when a tree <laughs> yeah. talks to you, I'm like, you're a human. Yeah. Like humans talk all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, a tree's talking. Yeah, yeah. I'm more interested in what this thing has to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was just like really entrenched into my practice. Um, but I just started easing up some of my um my like restrictions that I'd put on myself just because I um I I also wanted to test it. I wanted to mm-hmm. test myself like it was funny. One of the instructions was I couldn't put anything into practice for a year, and I didn't also know what that meant. I was like, did they mean anything like yeah because I was learning so much Mm -hmm. and I was like but I want to put some stuff into practice how I ended up taking that which now I understand like of course within a year a year later two years later I really got it is that when you first and this is like one of the biggest things when people first I believe um start waking up we'll call it Mm -hmm. um coming out of like an unconscious way of living into a conscious way of living. It's kind of like the same as when anyone starts anything. Like someone starts eating healthy for the first time and they're a fucking expert on health food. And you're like, okay, (laughs) right? And so it was like that humility piece that I think they were trying to instill in you. Like when you start waking up and you start realizing that you are the primary contributor to your reality. So like my depression was on me, Mm -hmm. you know? I could have looked around and blamed tons of things for why my life had ended up the way it ended up. And I had a lot to blame, Mm -hmm. but it was me sitting in choice, making the decision to allow that to hold me back. Mm -hmm. The, the piece of like not changing anything in my life or Mm -hmm. like not putting anything into action. And yeah, the way I understand that now in retrospect is um, when you first start, waking up or starting to live your, you start living your, you start living your life in a conscious way. Mm -hmm. Um, you think, you know, everything you have like your first awakening and you're just like, Oh yeah, shit. I'm enlightened. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and that's a trap. It's an ego trap because that is ego. Mm -hmm. Um, as you continue down the path of continuing to like unfold and, um, 
live your life more and more and more consciously, you see how like deeply rooted these like human patterns are in us and that the ego like seeps in everywhere. It really tries to take over absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the experiment. That's like what I believe. These are my personal beliefs. Um, that's what we're here to, to hopefully overcome, which would lead to enlightenment. But when, leading in that way and I mean like old old ancient like texts and teachers I mean you can go back to like the Bhagavad Gita or um I mean within like yoga like the the yoga sutras or any you know old like Buddhist text or anything like that the ultimate you know form of enlightenment is you would you you there's it doesn't matter you mm -hmm. don't you're not above anyone true enlightenment is realizing like everyone can be above you like there's nothing special about you you mm -hmm. know you don't have anything better than anyone else and you would never assert it because that's ego seep seeping mm -hmm. into that so that was kind of like when I look back and I think like why was I not supposed to put anything mm -hmm. into action and it's because like you when you realize how out of alignment your life has been and you start to make changes you feel like you're king of the world mm -hmm. like you're like oh they shit they want like, you to get over that mm -hmm. and you can start doing what a lot of you know modern day um spiritual teachers do which is like you start to bend reality mm -hmm. and um I started doing that in that year where I could begin to like bend reality and it's wild like it's so fun <laughs> um but then you can start to develop like a god complex with that mm -hmm. you start to bend reality and realize like how much the your reality is at your fingertips and mm -hmm. you can start to shift things energetically um if that is not you know supplemented with like a major um like I almost think of like a meditative infrastructure to keep you coming back and regrounding in your why mm -hmm. um you can run away with that you know you can start to run away and being like well I'm just gonna manifest all the shit in life that I want well why do you want it mm -hmm. you know and we go well no it's so true to me like I know I want it because like I deserve it and it's like why mm -hmm. why do you deserve it you know like people have to get over themselves but like that getting to that point is is really hard to do mm -hmm. it's really really hard to do because then it starts to make you question everything and it's like that's those aren't conversations you can easily have with people right mm -hmm. but that's the ultimate goal because like how beautiful would it be to like go build this is that's what I think the ultimate test is you know when I look at these like people who are incredibly successful like Jeff Bezos and you know yeah, Bill yeah. Gates and all of those people like the ultimate form would be to go do all of that go build up all sure go build up all of your wealth support billions of people make billions of dollars and then throw it away mm -hmm. who cares <laughs> you know like not be like oh well I'm gonna give away 20 percent of it you know mm -hmm. I'm gonna give away 30 percent of it and then like, I still deserve the rest because I worked really hard for it. And it's like the full form. If you really want to believe that you're there, you don't need it. You mm -hmm. know, you don't need any of it. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. None of this matters. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's fun. It's wild. And mm -hmm. it's taken me on like, yeah, a, a crazy, a crazy journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> um, and now with it all, are you, because now you're sort of like mm -hmm. running retreats and mm -hmm. sort of 
now you want to help other people experience the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, I think that that's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's where I'm at within my own personal spiritual development, knowing there's way more for me to do and way farther for me to go. Um, But everything that I have learned really comes back to connection, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I explain that there's these two parts of ourselves, there's like, you know, the human piece and then there's this soul piece. People want to believe that their soul has an identity and it's like, it doesn't, (laughs) it really doesn't. The human part has an identity. That's what we're attached to, Mm -hmm. right? Like the soul is infinite. Mine is the exact same as yours. There's nothing different, Mm -hmm. right? We have different aspects of us that form us into different like energetic beings, right? So like I, I also, um, I'm an astrologer and I believe wholeheartedly in astral energetics. And I mean, I really do believe it on like a more science, like on a science level. Mm -hmm. I think that it's baffling to me that a lot of times, you know, people are walking around in the world and it's like, we're concerned about this minute shit. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, we're on like a rock floating in the middle of something mm-hmm. like what does that even mean like that's so wild if you like pull yeah. yourself out of it and you're like uh like uh, how does life exist mm-hmm. like i don't know and like and what it's supposed to exist so i can like worry about this shit like yeah that's, that's crazy that's insane and i never want to i i yes i can still get caught into that because again human Mm-hmm. not special <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> happens, you know, you get like caught up in more of like the dogmatic aspects of life. And, um, you, you get kind of like pulled back down into this like lower level mm-hmm. of, um, lower vibrational energy and, uh, and pulling, pulling out of it and realizing like the like infinitesimal universe and like what, what is it then? Like, why, why does it matter? Why am I a human? Like, what am I supposed to do? And you get that, like, your soul is no different than anyone else's. The whole point is then connection. So this is designed to make me feel separate from you. Mm -hmm. Right. This makes me think I'm separate because I'm here and I can like touch it and I feel like I'm separate, but we've all experienced those moments. We know those moments. We just don't We don't understand them that way. That's what like deep empathy is where you see something like you see someone in pain and like you feel pain Mm -hmm. immediately. Why? Mm -hmm. If you're truly separate, why do you feel pain when someone else feels pain? Isn't that their experience? Mm -hmm. Right? Someone's joyous and you start to feel joyous. Someone starts crying and you start crying. Like uh, why? Mm -hmm. What is that? You know, we have like all of these words and stuff that we want to go around it. But ultimately, I'm like, holy shit, like what happens to someone else happens to me. And what happens to me happens to someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't just mean it on like a tangible. Oh, like we've got relatable experience this way. I mean, like, really, it really happens. And you can really feel it. It You can feel it in your body. You'll have a physiological reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And so that is what's so intriguing to me. And that is the piece where I'm like, okay, well my soul is the same as someone else's like I'm here to help you know Mm -hmm. help other people experience ecstasy the type of ecstasy the only type of ecstasy that can come when you let go of like the ego desires and you just are living like purely from a place of just soul expression which is only like love compassion joy like that's Mm -hmm. it but like love, compassion, and joy don't have, um, 
and identity attached to them. It's not like love that's like, oh, super giving and super like sweet and overdoing like the way that you think of your mom. I mean, like, um, like infinite love. Mm -hmm. There's a word for it. I think it's like a Latin word. It's called like agape. And it's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's like, it's this type of love that's just, it has no bounds in it Mm -hmm. and it encompasses everything, right? It's not romantic (laughs) love. It's not like parental love. It's not any of that. And, uh, and that's so special. And if you like allow yourself to get there and it's hard because you have to like, you have to penetrate through your own layers first and then you have to penetrate through someone else's mm-hmm. and I'll have my own things that want to block me from doing that. Oh, I'm fe- I'm fearful of like what they're going to think of me. How will it get received? Is my voicing it the right way? Do I have the right vocabulary? Um, do I have enough education? You know, do I have enough time? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? I have all of these things that are, I have to break through all of that and be like, there's nothing more important in this world than being purely present with another human being. Mm-hmm. When you're purely present with another human being, it's like we've all felt it. Like the world melts away. Mm-hmm. You forget about everything else. You stop time. And like that is, I believe that at the end of this human life, that's all I'll remember. Mm-hmm. Those are the only moments I'll remember. That's all that will matter. So that's what I'm here to do. That's mm-hmm. how I want to make as many of those types of connections as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just noise. Like this, that stuff can like come and go into my life. Maybe I'll be rich. Maybe I'll be poor. Maybe I'll be a monk. Maybe I won't. Like, <laughs> Who I don't know. Knows? Right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to follow like an intuitive response because I'm going to be quiet enough to listen to what comes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of my time is just spent attempting to connect deeply with someone else. And that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's what I feel like I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then have fun, yeah. you know, <laughs> have fun because I'm like, okay, you know, if I'm not going to make, if I'm not going to make the leap and, you know, commit fully to, monkhood Mm -hmm. which means because I've thought about that a lot I've thought about like then okay Janelle like why not just become a monk Mm -hmm. you know I feel like I have the capacity to do it um and I know where it could take me Mm -hmm. uh but I also think that there are a lot of people in the world where like I could go do that which could yes be very valuable and very beneficial could also deeply alienate me from a lot of people who when I think about okay so then why did this wisdom why did this knowledge unlock inside of me a white girl from Canada (laughs) you know yeah and it's because there's people who look like me who Mm -hmm. are living their life the way I was living my life who if I just was a monk that's too far. Mm-hmm. That's too much of a disparity between their how they're living their life now mm-hmm. and the way I'm living my life. Instead, being on like being in the trenches with people, mm-hmm. being on my knees, you know, you can like get in with someone mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, it doesn't seem so far off. You know, she's still like puts on makeup and, <laughs> you know, shops and yeah, you know, You're relatable. Yeah. More relatable. Um, but there's something else, you know, why is she happy? Mm-hmm. Why does she not care about if this stuff goes away? You know, mm-hmm. and that is, I think, 
very effective. That's why I do think that like we're in the midst of like a massive awakening across the world because for a long time, a lot of this information, which I think it needed to happen the way it did when you look at like the evolution of human beings did exist in, um, you know, smaller, um, more like tight knit groups. But as our world has become so intermixed and as our Western culture has like evolved the way it has, we are so disconnected. And Mm -hmm. so there's more and more people that this like wisdom is being unlocked in. Um, and it's not enough to just be like, Oh, well I'm just going to go run away and like live in a commune and, Mm -hmm. you know, go be like happily selfish with my knowledge because I don't need anything to be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and instead I will, um, stay Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, play the game, play along, (laughs) play along. And then some, the, the scary part is, is that like, I thought to myself, okay, so if I just play the game, you know, pretend to give a shit about the things that other people give a shit about, like, you know, like make Mm -hmm. money, like pay bills, whatever, not go live in a monastery. It's purely playing a game, but it's not. As soon as you let that energy into your life, like my agreement to play means that I too now still have to face the regular battles because I'm allowing that energy to come into my life. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then that, again, that, that forces me to stay in check. It's not like, uh, you know, you meditate, you have these like massive awakenings, these massive realizations, and then you're good. It's like, I can tell because I'm playing the game, mm-hmm. um, this game, this Western world game that if I let myself get away from my practices for too long, I'll start to get confused. My ego will start to show up more heavily, more strongly. I'll start like taking actions for stuff that I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I know what, I already know I don't care about this. Like, why am I pursuing it? Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's where it's, I'm like, oh my God, no, you have to so be on top of it. You have to be like committed to your growth and committed to your practices that keep you grounded and centered and clear. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So right now, how, like on a daily basis, like what are your practices mm-hmm. like? Like for how long would you do? Um, yeah. So for me, I, um, I am a little, I'm like, I'm like, pre- I'm actually pretty loose with the, the structure so long as everything gets fit in. Right. Um, if that makes any sense. And so I, um, like more so a time like per day kind of thing. Like, is yeah. it like an hour, like three, four hours? Yeah. It, that is based on like what I have available and okay. based on other commitments that I've made. So I like to set up my schedule and my life, um, to make sure that I have like large chunks and of time. And this has also been like the last three years of my life since that happened, um, has been like a series of trial and error, right? right. Trying to figure out like what works best for me, because like I said, diving into, more like astrology. Okay. Well then, so my soul, so to speak, implanted in this body that has certain energetic qualities and energetic gifts, um, and things that work for it and don't work for it. And so really testing that and being like, okay, when am I more, um, productive? When am I more likely to like sink into a practice? And so it's taken a long time and to also then let go of like the societal conditioning of like Mm -hmm. what that means. Like meditate at this time of day for this long and I'm like oh god but and then we think that that's how you have to do it for it to be successful right and it that's not necessarily true because you can turn anything into a meditation Mm -hmm. you can turn like washing the dishes into meditation which I think is the one of the best meditations Mm -hmm. um 
you can turn absolutely anything into your life into a meditation. So now it's more about like living deeply with intention. So I find that if I set up my days and my weeks extremely intentionally, they automatically become a meditation. Mm -hmm. And then within that, if I do find time, which I do, I do make time, but because I am committed to setting up my life that way, I don't necessarily feel the need. Like my life isn't chaos. You know, I don't run from one thing to the next and get pulled out of myself at a job. So because of that, I get to remain embodied for most of my day. I don't require as much focused meditation as maybe someone who mm-hmm. works for eight hours a day at a job and they're like, oh, they get like, yeah. <laughs> they're chaotic. Um, but back when I still was doing that, you know, I only, I only quit, um, I only quit my job last December. I had a very like, uh, rigorous schedule. I would meditate in the morning before mm-hmm. work. Um, I do death meditations in the morning. I still like to do those no matter what, even if they're informal, like while I'm driving, mm-hmm. well, if, if they're informal while I'm driving, all it is is just thinking about the fact that I'm going to die, mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds scary, but it's like you think about it all the time. You take the bite out of it. Yeah. Um, doesn't, it's not as scary anymore. And you're just like, makes you feel really um, urgent with mm. the important things you want to do in life. Makes you not care about stuff that you otherwise might be giving too much attention to. Mm-hmm. Treat people more kindly. Um, and so at the time, yeah, I was doing meditation in the morning um and then I would go to work and you know work all day and then immediately following work I um had a like a 90 minute yoga practice that I would do following work come home make food making food is meditative Mm -hmm. um I was committed to always making my food so I could build a relationship with the food that I was eating um because it's another thing that I think a lot of people are deeply disconnected from Mm -hmm. and that's like our primary source of energy the quality quality of the energy going into us um on like a nutrition level mm-hmm. you know really does change the outcome not just from like a health and fitness mm-hmm. standpoint but um we absorb that energy and then we output it mm-hmm. so um and that that was my life that was my life like monday to friday meditate in the morning work 90 minutes of yoga kind of like meditative while i would cook and eat mm-hmm. um not eating with like netflix yeah. eating with podcasts just eating. eating by myself with my food um and then like reading or writing before going to bed mm-hmm. i'm not necessarily journaling but like w- a lot of times things would come to me in my yoga practice and then following my yoga practice i would be like walking home and on that walk home you know the concepts are like marinating mm-hmm. and so i would by the time I was done eating, it's like I I had so much I could just mm-hmm. pour out things that became clear, things I was thinking about. And so, mm-hmm. um, since then my life's been a little bit more all over the place. I went to Bali for a few months, mm. came back, um, moved up to Squamish, and um, life's it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> Um, this is like an ever-changing roller coaster. I haven't had the support of a routine, mm-hmm. um, which has challenged me in lots of new ways, which has been amazing because I think that's the ultimate goal. I want to know that I, everything external can change around me. I could be like the calm and the chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take a routine to keep me okay. Right. Like I am the routine. Mm-hmm. That's where yeah. I'm going in my life. 
I like that, I think, because a lot of people will, like, if they don't get their morning thing and they'll let it wreck their whole day mm-hmm. or and they get attached to the things that they mm-hmm. want to do each day or should do each day. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an important first step mm-hmm. because I think that building discipline in yourself, I mean, you could call it self-care if you want it mm-hmm. to, um, but building discipline within yourself is going to ultimately be, like, what carries you through, but... It's it's kind of like when people first start building boundaries, which I yeah. do a lot of work with my clients right now on boundary setting and boundary building. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who's lived your entire life without any boundaries, um, setting boundaries at first is going to be deeply uncomfortable. And it's almost like you have to swing the pendulum so far the other way before it can like land back in the middle. So if, mm-hmm. you, if your boundaries have been like a wet noodle your whole life, you got to go into like, like, steal like lock and bolt boundaries mm-hmm. where people are going to be like, what the fuck? Like yeah. you're crazy. You're like, no, like <laughs> you say like no to everything. You've got like no explanations. That's not the goal either. Like you want to bring them back down to a much more flexible place where you realize that like, okay, I understand what my personal boundaries are. It's no one else's responsibility to take care of my boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but we don't learn that right away and that takes time. So same with like developing your, um, your spiritual practice, it's starts out, um, a lot more like disciplined and Mm -hmm. routined at first, um, which is huge. And then, uh, ideally you can carry that into life. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still definitely important pieces. Like I would say not starting my morning with death meditations changes everything. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be so, um, formal. It doesn't have to be like an hour, 30 minutes or like sitting there, like I I can do it on the way to work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can do it. Um, driving somewhere. I can do it while I'm making coffee. Mm -hmm. I just have to be intentional. That's what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of, that's, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, I don't even know what to say or what to ask. And I feel like I have so much to think about, like listening to it. I almost feel like I want to re-listen to it yeah. already. Yeah. Um, Maybe like, I guess one thing I can say is um, I think, a, I think a huge, I think one of the biggest pieces that, um, why getting quiet is so important is because, um, as I mentioned, like we'll continue the way the the brain works is to continue to take us down a path that we've already taken. Even if it's, even if it's like riddled with pain and fear and suffering, if it didn't kill us the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why like so many people can't see that it's like what, why do I keep repeating these same patterns? Cause I was the same as everyone else. Right. Like, and mm-hmm. I still am like, that's, I'm constantly, you have to continue to battle against it. Right. That's why I'm obsessed with change now. Like I love changing things up. Um, I love putting myself into uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. that I haven't been in before because I'm forcing my brain to try and find new ways around something. Um, and now I love it because I know on the other side of that is growth. 
But when you first start, it's like, uh, it's so <laughs> painful. It's so uncomfortable. Um, and you're still living your life in from a place of fear. But the biggest question, like, I think is the most important thing to ask people is like, we, this is why like slowing down my nervous system was so important in the beginning because I was like, I'm having the type of fear, like anxiety and fear-based responses in my body. Like I'm like my life's being threatened. Mm -hmm. Why is my heart racing in the middle of the night because of a work email? Mm -hmm. Like that's not okay. You know, I need to train my nervous system to have those responses when there truly is imminent danger. And I need to know that that's the truth because mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm getting so confused in my head that, which is then making me exacerbate and, um, create, make myself believe that work is way more important than it is. Right. When you really mm -hmm. peel back, you're like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like I get fired. What does getting fired mean? Does getting fired mean like I'm going to die, you know, mm -hmm. like a terrible death? No. So then like, why is my body giving me that fear response? You know, and that's conditioned. We're mm -hmm. conditioned into that. And so like doing the deconditioning process is so huge, which is why being quiet is so important. It's, um, there's this, uh, one monk who I um, really enjoy, he teaches at the Vancouver um, Meditation Center. Mm. And he, is it him or is it my friend? My friend's one of the teachers there as well. She's talking about how like when we're trying to create new habits, when we're trying to create new neural pathways in our brain, um, most people get really frustrated because it's like, you can, it's really hard. It's like people read all stuff, sorts of stuff about like building habits and like how to do all of that. But the reality is, is that like you're already, it, the brain is just saturated. It's like imagining like a saturated cloth, like that's saturated with like ink. Mm -hmm. And then you want to go put more ink on it. Like you can't see it. Mm -hmm. And then it's just muddied in with all of this other stuff that you do before you can lay something new in. You have to remove everything. And removing everything is the painful part because that's the space in between. That's the space in between who you've been and who you're going to be. And you don't know who you're going to be. And like, can you live with that? Can you live in the space in between? And those who are courageous enough to try will be rewarded. But you can't lay anything new in until you're willing to remove everything. And removing everything is strange it's weird you don't know who you are anymore you don't know your identity people don't know how to relate to you you're not mm -hmm. you're not eliciting the same reactions like you used to you're not laughing at the same jokes you're not showing up the same way you're not eating the same food you're talking about different things you're not gossiping you're not all of that and then then people don't know how to relate to you and you don't know how to relate to them and you start to feel like an alien and then that has its own you know feelings that go with it because you're like am I an alien like what is happening mm -hmm. um and on the other side of that is like so much space space to be like who do I want to be but it's hard at first right because you realize that oftentimes like even a lot of the people in our lives like relationships, partners, friendships, jobs, none of it's in line. Mm -hmm. It's all incongruent. 
that's scary. That's scary (laughs) because once, like I said, once you lift the veil, Mm -hmm. you can't put it back. No. So now you're just like, oh shit. Like, (laughs) do I got to break up with my partner? Do I got to end friendships? Do I got to quit my job? You might, Mm -hmm. you know, you might have to. I don't know. That's going to be like whoever's experience. For me, a lot of those things did have to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, some didn't, but a lot did. Mm-hmm. And um, and otherwise, a lot just shifted. But what's beautiful now is like the relationships that I have now with my friends. Like it was rocky. It's like shifting gears on a bike. It's like, ugh, it's mm-hmm. weird and uncomfortable. Um, I could have never imagined having like friendships that were so honest and loving and kind and I don't have to I don't have to think that like I I don't have to show up if I if I if I'm busy or if I'm focused on something else like my self-worth is at a place where like I'm not worried that they're not gonna like me anymore Mm -hmm. I'm a bad friend I know I'm not a bad friend I'm a great friend I'm a great friend even if I don't see my friend for a year Mm -hmm. you know I'm a great friend because I care and I love them and when I am with them I show up wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and um the discomfort in the transition is the hardest part, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. It's so worth it on the other side. Man. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now with what you're doing, are you, like, if people want to try this, are you like mm-hmm. coaching them through yep. things? Um, is yeah. that kind of like what you're focusing on now is mm-hmm. coaching and, and retreats? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, it started cause like, uh, I guess after everything happened, I actually started doing Reiki. I started like, I dove into the world of energy right. healing. And, um, as I was, as I started to collect clients through that, um, one thing would always lead to another, which would lead to conversation mm-hmm. and conversation would naturally lead into a little bit of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, I had, you know, my own imposter syndrome, like who am I mm-hmm. to coach? Um, I don't have enough, all the conditioning. I don't have enough accreditation. I don't mm-hmm. have, I'm not old enough. I don't have enough life experience. And I'm like, who the fuck am I kidding? Angel <laughs> spoke to me and I yeah. changed my life. You know, yeah. Angel spoke to me. I changed my life. I'm deeply happy. And I, um, and I'm in it. I'm in the work. Like, who better? Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, yeah, I developed a program um, this year coming back from Bali where I attempted to take um, what happened to me in that first year. So after I had my uh, my out-of-body angel experience, mm-hmm. crazy things kind of happened that year, as I mentioned, that started again, of course, with that, like, first quiet month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I attempted to kind of, like, take these big like monumental things and put them a little bit into chronological order and I turned that into a program Mm -hmm. um and so I the program is a one-on-one program it's um but it's like it's a little bit of a buy-in because I think that's one of the also the scariest things when people are starting to go like that that year I hired a coach for myself and Mm -hmm. when I finally hired support is when I saw the biggest leaps Mm -hmm. that I ever took um, because it just, w- it helped to have someone to speak to who wasn't emotionally invested in my life right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and could help me like look at things objectively about what I was doing. So I wasn't just always in my own head 
that was the first year I hired a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I do that because I think that what happens is, especially with the work that I take people through, as I mentioned, a lot of it gets really painful in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to look at how you're like the primary contributor mm-hmm. to your shitty life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. Like, you're the one, you're the one constant in everything. Mm-hmm. So who else can you point to? Yes, there's childhood trauma. Yes, there's a lot of contributing factors. That's not, those aren't excusable. We still go over that. Mm-hmm. And instead we actually develop a lot of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Compassion for like, okay, so all of that shitty stuff happens to us when we were kids and our brain has wired itself to survive. That's just, that's just like evolution. And so the way that our brain wired itself to survive was based on these people who are raising us, the society around us, the friends that we had, the food that we were eating. So why else would we have figured out another way to mm-hmm. live? No wonder we're depressed, you know? No wonder this is the way I function. No wonder I choose toxic boyfriends. No wonder I, you know, binge drink. No wonder I, you know, like all of the things that people yeah. have. And so that level of self-compassion is really beautiful because then it's not until you have self-compassion that then you can begin to forgive. And it's when you forgive that then you can start to make different choices for yourself. Mm -hmm. You go like, I don't hold it against myself, but most people are just like, that was the biggest thing when I started my thing and there's no one else to look at, but yourself, like the amount of self-loathing and hate that I had for myself was crazy. Mm-hmm. I hated myself. Like, which then if I'm hating myself, how am I looking at the rest of the world? Judging mm-hmm. them, judging people that walk by, judging them for the same things that I hate myself for having mm-hmm. opinions about them, you know, mm-hmm. which creates separation. Separation is like, <laughs> you're losing, you're losing the human experiment. <laughs> yeah. That's you're losing the game like you're in last. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, anything that forces me to feel separate from someone else, that's something I need to work on. Mm -hmm. Any judgments, anything. So the first step though is to like learn to deeply love myself, have so much self-compassion, so much self-forgiveness and then change. Mm -hmm. Be willing to like take the steps to change. Yes, like I said, we have to go over so many like painful things though that happen in our childhood. Um, and through like our adolescence and through, you know, the early parts of our adulthood um, where we really did feel like we didn't have a choice mm-hmm. and we were just kind of being like pushed around in our lives. And, um, and when people start doing that work, it's painful. And so uh, sometimes they can run away. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I kind of developed it as like a 10 week program because mm-hmm. um, it's a roller coaster, but uh, we can get somewhere in 10 weeks. And then obviously the goal is to continue on those relationships afterwards. I'm getting a little busy now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to, um, figure out ways that I can continue to support people on that. Um, perhaps doing more like group coaching in the future. Okay. Um, and having that be an option for some people versus just like the one on taking the course, um, one-on-one. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then maybe down the road, actually having like the program offered just with, um, like pre-recorded video and then, then still getting like the same content, mm-hmm. um, to support them through it. So and it's kind of automated. Yeah. A little bit. I don't, I really think that one of the major things is that heart to heart connection. Mm-hmm. It really helps. And so the idea of just going like fully automated isn't ideal to me, but mm-hmm. I do want to make sure that I'm, 
I'm supporting people and yeah. I have a way to support them through the process because I'm seeing how it's changing the people's lives that I'm working mm-hmm. with, which is crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. I mean, and even if you just automated a bit of it and still had the connection piece in there can mm-hmm. take a lot off, yeah. the, off of your plate. Yeah. So it's evolving. We'll see. Yeah. Um, see what happens. We'll see what it. happens. I'm still doing as, as of right now, it's all one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, and TBD. to see what happens yeah that's awesome yeah um well then yeah we can link your stuff in here too so if anyone listening is interested or wants to reach if that's okay with you if you want that yeah yeah i'd love that i um i'm selective with clients i take on um because it's important that they're serious Mm -hmm. about changing their life and also just to make sure that we're a right energetic oh, yeah, for each other, for sure. um, which is super crucial. But I, um, fortunately I also have a lot of like friends within this world now, which is awesome. So if it doesn't work, um, with me, I can usually always find someone that they're mm-hmm. better suited to, to make sure that they get the support they need along this journey that they're going to go on. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Um, yeah, I think like that's really good. I don't know. Is there, is there anything else that you feel like you want to share? No, I don't think so. Any closing words? No. Uh, Closing words. (laughs) Oh man. Closing words. I love closing words. (laughs) Um, um, no. No, <laughs> no. No. I feel no. like there's been a lot. There's yeah. a lot of lessons. No, no, no closing words. Okay. Just um listen. Get quiet and listen. I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, okay. thanks for coming out and sharing everything. And yeah, that was that was awesome. I'm excited to get it out and um I think people are gonna really like it. Thanks, Shelby. It no was problem. great. <laughs> <laughs>